Hey, hey, what's up, Encounter Church? How you guys doing today? I was told this was the crowd that are a little more awake, a little more crazy and rowdy. Is that true? Yeah, I can give it up for Jesus just a little bit. Yeah? All right. You know, uh, Pastor Dirk said we met in the gym. The true story is that he came in like this, you know. And he said, hey, you, spot me. And he made me be his friend, and that's how I'm here today, you know. Uh, the truth is, <laughs> obviously that's not true if you're here for the first time, you know. You're probably like, man, this is crazy. But uh, the truth is that, I, we, you know, we saw each other in the morning time, week after week. And I thought to myself, man, this guy looks familiar. I think I know him. And I don't want to be rude and just walk past and not say anything. Maybe he's waiting for me to say hi, and I didn't say hi. So I went up to him, and I said, hey, man, do I know you from somewhere? And he says, no. <laughs> I was like, well, that failed. I was like, well, my name's Daniel, by the way, and he told me his name. And uh, we, we struck up a conversation that then led to a friendship, which is amazing. Which, by the way, says a lot about your pastor, that, uh, you know, he is not just focused on you know, his little tribe and what he knows and everybody else, you know, I'm from a different church and you're from that church, so we can be friends. Actually, he's pretty genuine and he's pretty in love with Jesus and he loves you guys so much. So would you just give it up for Pastor Dirk and just honor him um, as he suffers for Jesus in Cancun, Mexico, everybody. He's, he's suffering. He's suffering. So he's on a missions trip, you know. Actually, he's, he's on vacation with his family, which is awesome. We're praying for him that he would just be refreshed, that he would take some time to just rest. And uh, how many of you guys know when, when the leader's healthy, everybody else is a better chance of being healthy, right? So we're praying over him. We're having a good time. Uh, I want to let you know I'm here with my wife, Anna. Anna, would you stand up and say hi to everybody? Beautiful wife, Anna, everybody. And my cousin, Mike. Mike, go ahead and stand up and say hi to everybody. This is my crew. We have three kids, as Pastor Dirk said, they're in the back and they're, I'm sure, having fun. Um, you know, if Pastor Dirk was here this morning, he would, even after uh, he, he preached the announcements, by the way, you know, it's like, you know the pastor's doing the announcement when he's preaching the announcements and after he said, what, baptism, like you want to give your life to Jesus all over again? Uh, if he was here this morning, he would say, encourage you, even after what you heard from the video, if you have not been baptized yet, next Sunday is the day. Sign up, do what you got to do, uh, go online or talk to somebody around here. Take that next day, uh, step of faith that takes your private life with Jesus into a public life with Jesus where you announce to the world and everybody that you are for Jesus all in. And I promise you that it will be a moment in your life that will only help you, grow you, and take you to what Jesus has for you next, right? So this is uh, week three in the series entitled Evidence. I'm going to continue in this series. I hope that this series has been a blessing to you. As I spoke with Pastor Dirk, you know, he talked about how this was meant to challenge you, stir you up, encourage you, help you to take that next step of faith. Uh, he spoke on deliverance and provision, and this morning I want to teach on healing, on healing. You know, when we hear that word healing, different things come to our mind. Maybe it's like, yeah, that's right, let's go. Or maybe it might not be so positive. It can be negative based on a situation that you experienced or somebody that you love or know experienced. And maybe things didn't pan out or turn out the way you intended. But uh, I endeavor to do my best not to just give you an opinion, but to look at the Word of God and to look at the Scriptures and really just stir your faith up. Uh, when you talk about things like healing, things about like deliverance and provision, I believe that there's a road that we need to stay on. And it's a road of balance. And on both sides of the road, there's a ditch. 
And quite frankly, I believe the devil doesn't care what side of the ditch you're on as long as you're in the ditch. And when you think about healing, um, there's one side of the ditch that says, you know, God doesn't heal anymore. That's been done away with. It doesn't happen. Um, but I know personally, and I, I would go on to, to say that people here know people or yourself has been healed. You know, you've experienced that in your body. Um, how many of you know that the Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and and forever, tomorrow, right? He's the same God, the same God that can do the impossible. He says what's, in, what's impossible for man is possible with God. And so there's that dish that says he doesn't do it anymore, but I believe I want to just encourage people to get in the middle of the road. On the other side of the, that road, there's another dish that says, you know, God's going to do what I asked him to do the way, he wants, the way I want him to do it in the timing I want him to do it. And how many of you guys know that it just doesn't work that way, right? I mean, if that's your theology, then you're going to be pretty disappointed uh, in God because that's just not the way God does it. But there is a road that is balanced that says, hey, Jesus can still heal. He's still the same, but he does it his way, his timing, right? So what I want to do is take a look at a story in John chapter 9. We're going to just uh, really dive into this and see what the scriptures has to say. So 9.1 says, now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. I want to pause there before we continue because I think it's interesting, these two things right here, really set this story up. Number one is that it says that Jesus, as he passed by, if you look at the context of this scripture and of this passage, this is the very first part of chapter 9. In the end of chapter 8, Jesus was in the situation where he was debating with a group of Jewish people who didn't believe him, who thought he was crazy, who didn't believe that he came from God, and he ended up he ended this situation and conversation by making a bold statement. And he said, you know, if you guys are the sons of Abraham, that's what they're claiming. He's like, actually, Abraham saw my day and he rejoiced. And they said, you're not even 50. How is it that Abraham saw your day? And he says, well, before Abraham was, I am. And he made this amazing statement that they thought was blasphemous. And so what did they do? They said, hey, mister, stop. No, they didn't do that. They picked up rocks and they were about to stone him and kill him. And the Bible says that it wasn't his hour yet, so he passed through and he passed by. And so the John chapter 9 picks up with him passing by, which leads me to believe that these two different things happened right after the other. And then it says that it's a man who was born blind. It doesn't say it was a child. It doesn't say it was a kid. It says it was a man. Think about that for a second. I think sometimes when we read the Bible, we just kind of, read it, and we put our own thoughts on it, but this was a man who was born blind. In other words, this is all he knew. I mean, as a baby, this is how he did life. As a kid, as a teenager, this is all he knew. Now he, here he is as a man, and if you continue with the story and read it, you will learn that he was begging, uh, and he was blind. So here's point number one if you're taking notes. There's absolutely nothing impossible for God. There's nothing impossible for Jesus. I think that if there was a limit on Jesus, I think that if Jesus were to cop out, I think it would be in this moment right here. I really do believe that. Why? Because, number one, he just got escaped from his life being threatened. They wanted to kill him. I mean, he could have easily said, listen, disciples, I know there's a blind man there, but listen, 
they just tried to kill me, y'all. I need, to, I need to rest. I need to take some time for myself. I just escaped death. Like, do you understand? Like, I could have been dead right now. I don't have time for this. I need some me time. I need to go to Cancun, Mexico with Pastor Dirk and his family. Like, let me, let me just chill for a minute. Number two is that this is a serious thing here. He was born blind. Like, maybe if it was that he had an issue with his eyes or maybe there was something else. Maybe he was in pain. But this man was born blind. He was born blind. And yet Jesus, passing by, still notices this man, still has compassion and mercy on this man. I want to tell you this morning that Jesus notices you. That Jesus hasn't forgotten about you. That you're not just some number to Jesus. You are a person and he knows you by name. The Bible says he knows the amount of hairs that you have on your head. And so he's passing by, and he, he doesn't allow this situation, nor does he allow the situation prior to the situation to, 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 to keep him moving, but rather he stops and he notices this. As you continue in the story, verse 2, his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? I believe that's a heavy question. That's so heavy. Uh, his disciples bring this man to Jesus' attention and says, why is he this way? Because his parents sinned and now he's reaping what they sowed or maybe, maybe because he sinned and he's getting what he deserved. And I believe that that's a question that we still have today over 2,000 years later. Why do babies who are innocent, why are they born with different defects and sicknesses and illness? And you could even take that a step uh, further and say, why is there evil? Why is there all these bad things in this world? And I love Jesus' response. And I, I believe you really got to uh, understand the ministry of Jesus to understand his response. He says this, neither this man nor his parents sin, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Now, at the surface, it, it sounds like Jesus just gave this answer, and maybe that's the case. Maybe that's the case that Jesus said, okay, it's not his parents' sin, it's not his son's sin, it's not his sin, but, you know, this was allowed so that I can manifest God's glory in his kingdom. But I wonder, and I personally believe, that it's deeper than that. That it's actually deeper than Jesus just giving them a direct answer to their question. And if you study the ministry of Jesus, this was very common. When people were to ask a question to Jesus, he didn't just say, oh, let me answer that question for you. Here you go. Here's the answer you're looking for. For example, uh, the, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. The disciples noticed that there were so many people. They were there all day. And he, they came up and asked, Jesus, how are we going to feed all of these people? And Jesus, rather than saying, giving them a plan and a system and how to do this, he asked, well, what do you have? And it made them think. It made them, it kind of put the ball back on their court. In another instance, there was a certain ruler that came up to Jesus and he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And as a preacher, I'm like, man, Jesus, they just set you up. They just put the golf ball on the tee, and you can smack that and just say, hey, X, Y, A, B, C, this is the ABCs of salvation. This is what you do. This is how you do it. But rather than doing that, Jesus said, why do you call me good? And he almost like kind of, 
He didn't give the answer that this man was looking for. He kind of turned it around. And here's why. Listen up very carefully. This is why I believe is that Jesus was not so concerned about what they thought, how they thought, the matters of their head, but Jesus was concerned about the matters of their heart. Jesus was concerned about where they were at spiritually, where they were at. Where they, it's not just the fact that you're asking this question. It's why are you asking this question? So let me go back to this answer that Jesus gives. Again, on the surface, it's almost like Jesus is giving them a direct answer. But if you study the Word of God, if you study its original manuscripts, you're going to find out that the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and the New Testament was written in Greek. It wasn't written in English. These were the original language translated from these languages. Not only that, but there were, there were no punctuations in the original manuscript. So when we read this, we pause, period. It's not because of this, pause, but because of this. But I wonder if we were to read it without the punctuation and just see. Maybe Jesus was revealing something deeper. He says, neither this man nor his parents sin, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Did you guys catch that? Not that they sin, not that he sin, but that I must reveal the works of God. This is what I got to do. And I wonder if that was the answer. The reason I say that is because when we approach healing, it's kind of confusing if you don't know if that sickness or that disease came from God or not. But in the context of Scripture, uh, Deuteronomy 28 says that sickness and disease is not a blessing, it's a curse. There's another uh, story in the Bible where Jesus is being accused because he was doing the miraculous. He was doing the work of the ministry and casting out demons. And they're saying the reason that you are casting out demons is because you are filled with a demon yourself. And that's how you do it. Obviously, you're not God. So you're getting help from the devil to cast out the devil. And that almost sounds like they got it. That almost sounds logical. But Jesus says, hold on a second. A, a, a house divided within itself cannot stand. A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. It would be ridiculous for the devil to be casting himself out as a kingdom. This is obviously from God. So I wonder in, in, in understanding that context that John 10.10 10 says that it's the thief who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And it's Jesus who has come to give us life and life abundantly. Regardless of what your stance is there, I believe the takeaway is this. I believe God is telling us today, this morning, reminding us that maybe our focus shouldn't so much be on why this is happening or where is this coming from, but the focus should be on the fact that Jesus is alive, Jesus is here, and Jesus is able to do what he does best, brings life to where there is death, brings healing to where there is sickness, brings his presence to where there is liberty, right? Come on, somebody. And so... I believe that's really the, the, the focus on Jesus' response. So verse 6 says, when he said these things, he spat on the ground and he made clay with the saliva and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Here's point number two. It takes faith. Somebody say it takes faith. It takes faith. Point number two. Now, this story of healing is, is, is a little different than all the other stories that you're going to find with healing in Jesus' ministry. For example, the woman with the issue of blood. 
right? She was, she was sick for 12 years. She had wasted everything that she had on physicians of the day to try to help her only to come up short and disappointed. She hears that Jesus is passing by. By the way, Jesus didn't walk by himself most of the time. There were a lot of people that were walking around Jesus because of the fact of what he can do and the fact that, the, that he was bringing the kingdom of God. And so there's a group of people, and you have this lady who has been sick with the same sickness for 12 years. Uh, by the way, according to the law, is considered unclean. So for her to touch somebody else is something that she is doing that is wrong. So she goes beyond that. She sees her opportunity. She has this tenacity to fight her way through the crowd. And in her spirit, in her heart, she says, if I can only touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. I will be healed. So the story says that she did what, what she was wanting to do and she touched him. And right when she touched Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus stopped. He looked around and he said, who touched me? And his disciples are saying, you're crazy. Everybody's touching you. There's a lot of people around you. He says, hold on a second. Somebody touched me with faith. There's been virtue. There's been power that has flowed from me into another person. And the moment he did that, he saw the woman and she confessed to what she did. And what did Jesus do? He said this. He says, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has healed you. Because you said that, because of your tenacity, you're healed because of the power that Jesus had and because of the faith that she had, she was able to be healed. There's another story of a blind man. The Bible uh, tells us his name is Bartimaeus. And uh, he's, he's hearing that Jesus is walking by, and so he starts to yell out, Hey, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And everybody says, Hey, quiet down. You're in church. You can't be yelling like that. you got to be quiet. We don't do that here. And he even screams louder. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops. He turns around. He goes towards this man. And he does something that if you don't understand faith and if you don't understand Jesus, then it's kind of like, man, that was rude. Jesus asked this blind man, he says, what do you want me to do for you? It's like, Jesus, he's blind. Obviously, he wants to be healed. He wants you to heal his eyes. And so the man says, I want to be healed. I want to have my eyes to be opened. And so Jesus touches him and he's healed because of his faith. Really, the reason why Jesus asked him that question was to set him up for him to have faith. The Bible says you have not because you ask not, right? And so I personally believe that he set him up for faith for him to say, this is what I want from you, Jesus. Which leads us to believe that it's not just the obvious that makes God move, but it is your faith that makes God move. And we see those in these stories we see this with the centurion who asked Jesus to heal his servant. And Jesus says, okay, I'll be over there. And he says, you don't even have to come to my house. Just send the word and he'll be healed. And the Bible says that Jesus was marveled by his faith. So in these other stories, we see that. But you read this story and it's like, this guy was at the right place at the right time. In fact, we don't see this guy yelling. We don't see this guy fighting through a crowd. We don't see this guy touching Jesus even. He's just begging and sitting. And it's the disciples that bring him to Jesus' attention that, with the question, why is he the way he is? And he's sitting down like, man, he was at the right place at the right time. And he caught a break. That's what it seems like on the surface. And I personally believe that's where a lot of us are today in our faith in terms of healing is that we're wanting to be 
able to catch a break. Man, if only God can heal me. If only things can line up and I can receive a miracle. But the story says that Jesus spat on the ground. By the way, I love to just bring the Bible to life and picture this. This dude is chilling, minding his business. And these guys are talking about him. And he hears, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know if you can spit silently. If you can, that's a talent. But I would assume that he heard that spit. And he's like, man, what's going on? Jesus mixes his spit with the dirt, puts it on his eyes. The Bible says he anoints him, by the way. It's not just any kind of spit. It's Jesus' spit that he made with dirt. Puts it on his eyes, okay? And this guy has a moment to either ask for a towel, wipe this off, say, you guys are crazy, leave me alone, keep walking and talking uh, your own thing, doing your own thing, leave me alone here. Or he has a decision to step into faith and do what Jesus asked him to do, which was to go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. It's very important to note that the moment that Jesus anointed his eyes, he was still not healed. He just had muddy eyeballs that was anointed, but he still wasn't healed. Why? Because it's not just about catching a break, it's about faith. And so he had a decision to make to walk, which by the way, theologians believe that it was over a half a mile away to dip into the pool. And the Bible says when he got out from washing in that pool, he was able to see. That's when healing came. When his obedience was under the authority of Jesus' word. When he mixed the little faith that he had with Jesus. By the way, I would go out to say that everybody in this room today has more faith and knows more about Jesus than that man did at that moment. He didn't know who this guy was. In the next uh, several scriptures, they're asking him, who healed you? He's like, well, I don't know, some prophet, but I don't care. I'm healed. That just goes to say, to show you that even if you have a little bit of faith and you give it to Jesus, he can do something with that. And I believe you have more faith than that man had at this moment. Hebrews 11:6 6 says, without faith, it's impossible. It doesn't say it's hard. It doesn't say it's difficult. It says it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You must believe that he is God, that he exists. He is who he says he is. And you must believe that he's also good. That he came to give you life and life abundantly. That's true with salvation, giving your heart to Jesus. That's true with healing. And that's true with anything uh, in terms of receiving from God. It's about your faith being connected with God's goodness and God's grace. So John 9, 18, but the Jews did not believe concerning him, that he had been blind and received his sight, until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. I'm going to just pause right there. Anytime uh, they call your mom and dad because you're in trouble, you know you're in double trouble, Right? Yeah, I remember in school, I got in trouble in the principal's office, and they said, we're calling your mom. I said, please don't call my mom. I'll wash the walls. I'll do what you want. Don't call my mom because I know. By the way, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I know that mom will come. She's going to act professional in front of you. She's going to give me the side look, but when I get home, I'm getting a whooping. So anytime your mom and dad are involved because you're in trouble, it's double trouble. And this guy was an adult. Can you imagine as an adult, your parents being called because of something that you didn't even do? 
It wasn't even your fault. You were minding your business. Somebody spit on the ground and healed you. It's crazy. So it says, until they called the parents of him who had received the sight, and they asked him, saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? So now there's an issue here with the Jews and this miracle. It's not just the fact that there was a miracle, but there's the fact that it was done on the Sabbath day, which was a day of rest, and the religious leaders believed that you can't do anything on that day. And when they saw Jesus doing good works on that day, they had a problem with it. And so this is their, this is their issue. And now they're bringing mom and dad in the issue. And they're asking mom and dad, how is it that he sees? And his parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we don't know. <laughs> and I love this. They say, he said, they say He's of age, ask him. Like, he's a big boy, talk to him, leave us out of this. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So there was a fear in that time that if you believed that Jesus was the Christ, you would be excommunicated, you'd be kicked out. And so they knew that. Uh, so they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know is that, one thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? It's an amazing, miraculous thing, the fact that Jesus healed this man. But I, I think that it's almost more amazing that these guys are working so hard to not see this. Here's point number three, that it can be right in front of you and you can still miss it. You can still miss it even when Jesus is in this place. The presence of Jesus is in this place. The presence of Jesus is in your home, through your kids, through your wife. And it can be right in front of you and you can still miss it. This group of religious leaders, this group of Jewish people were so involved in the things of God and they felt like they knew God so much that if it was reported that God was moving, they had to be the judge on it. But can I say something? If you think that you know everything about who God is and about how he works, then you're limiting God and that God is small. Because you ain't that smart. <laughs> I'm not that smart. Our minds are limited. The Bible says in Isaiah 55 that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so they had done that. They had gotten so involved and so connected to what they knew that they missed Jesus. And if we take a step back in this story, it's a story of blindness. It's a story that there was a man born blind who Jesus healed because of the little faith that he, connect, that he gave to Jesus. But then there's a story of this group of Jewish people who are not naturally blind, but spiritually blind. And they did not see, though they knew God according to what they knew, God was in the flesh in front of them through Jesus, working his kingdom, doing good things. And because it didn't line up to their logic, because it didn't line up to their experiences, because it didn't line up to what they thought, then that's not God. And they missed it. And I want to just tell you this morning, especially regarding healing, don't allow your experiences in the past or what you know even now to conform your belief system of who God is and what he can do. Allow the Bible to do that. 
Allow the scriptures to answer. It's a place that I believe we have to come in maturity to say, you know what? Maybe I don't know everything about that, but what does the scripture have to say? What does Jesus have to say? It's an amazing place of, of, of maturity and really of freedom that we get to, that we get to be, uh, be at. Um, about, five year, uh, about five years ago, uh, you know, as, as Pastor Dirk said, we have three kids. And, uh, you know, we had Evelyn, our firstborn, and Anna was pregnant with our second child, who is a son, our son Judah. Uh, they gave us a, a report. You know, you go in and you want to find out the gender, right? You want to know, is this a boy or girl and what's, what's happening? And they told us the gender, but then they called us later and they said, hey, we're going to ask that you come back. we got to double check something. And if you're a parent in this place, you know that if they do that, it's because they, they're seeing something that might be an issue. So we knew that coming in, so we started praying. Well, they told us that our son had a defect in his heart and that he was going to need surgeries and all of these different things to live. And uh, if he does live, then he's not going to be able to do what a normal person can do with, like, physical um, sports and different activities. So what we did was, hey, let's, let's believe God. Let's let's. Go out, like with tenacity, let's just believe that Jesus can heal him. Well, then time came to give birth to Judah, and uh, they, you know, we got to hold him for a bit, but then they took him pretty quickly to do these tests. And they came back, and we're thinking, all right, you guys are coming back to tell us that he's good. God healed him. But in fact, they came back to tell us that he doesn't have one defect in his heart. He's got four defects in his heart. And that just crushed us, you know. And so... We began to pray. We began to really seek God. And one of the biggest things that I learned was that as we approached this, our faith was that the same Jesus that can heal in the, in the, in the days of the Bible can heal today. We believe that. But we humbled ourselves because the first time we started to pray, it didn't go out the way we thought it should go out. And so we said, Jesus, how do we believe you for this? How do we connect our faith with you? Um, how would you choose to be glorified in this? Because this is bigger than us. It's bigger than what we want. There is something that is greater that you're going to do. And I believe that changed really the situation for us. Uh, we believe that God spoke to us and led us to just walk alongside the medical team at Helen DeVos and to just really allow God to use them. And I want to be very clear to say that we, we, were, we are so grateful for that team. They're amazing. Our, our faith was in Jesus, though. Our faith was in God, that God was using them to help us. And I want to show you a picture, and I apologize in advance if this is too graphic or this, you know, kind of messes with you a little bit, but I want to show you where we were. After a week old, uh, even less than that, even less than a week, they had to do open-heart surgery. And, uh, you know, the, the story of our faith, of our journey was really a roller coaster of a year. Um, by the way, they said that it would be three surgeries to really uh, fix his heart and help him to survive. We've had two of those surgeries and he still needs one. Um, but after both of those major surgeries, there were so many complications. And after the first surgery, you know, he, he, his organs began to shut down, his kidneys shut down, and he was on dialysis at, at a week old. His veins were too small to do it in his arm. They had to do it in his neck and to his heart. And, you know, as a parent, that crushes you. But we believe Jesus. We said, God, this is what we're going to do. We're going to ask what the medical staff needs to see, and we're going we're gonna to pray that that's what happens and even better. 
Um, so there was moments where they said, you know, I don't think he's going to make it through the night. So they gave us a room in the hospital that was above his floor. And what we did is we converted that into the upper room. We just b- turned that into our prayer room. And we said, God, this is what we're believing for. Um, you know, maybe this is t- tenacious. Maybe this is crazy. But we're going to give it at least what we know and everything we got. And if we miss it, may it not be because we didn't try in what we knew with our faith. And then we went back downstairs the next day. I was like, well, he's still here. Um, it's not going to, through the way that I thought it would go, but, you know, things are starting to turn around. Well, then he would start to get better, and um, then they would say, well, now this is going on. Now he's got an infection in his bowel. We've got to remove his bowel, uh, a portion of it. So we'd pray about it, and the surgery went great, and he's doing good. Um, at one point, he went into cardiac arrest. We were at home. We, you know, we'd stay in the hospital some days, and then some days we just had to go home to rest in our bed. And we got a call in the morning that he was in cardiac arrest, and his, and his heartbeat was going from a normal heartbeat all the way down into the teens, and they thought that was it. And we prayed, and I remember praying like, to Jesus. I said, Jesus, just like the centurion, I was on my way. It's probably going about 150 miles an hour. I don't even know. And I said, God, just like the centurion said, just send the word. I just pray that you send the word. And uh, later on, the nurse said that. She's like, I don't even know what happened. She said she looked up, and there was a scripture that was in his incubator that we just put a scripture on there. And uh, we put his name in there, and it said, uh, Judah, you shall not die, but you shall live and, see, and declare the works of the Lord. She's like, I just saw that, and all of a sudden, things changed. And so we were able to see God's hand in his life. We were able to walk this out with where we were with our faith. Because God is still God, he's still compassionate, he's still able to do what he can do. And we're still in the middle of it, to be honest. We still are uh, walking this out and believing God and believing Jesus uh, for, for his miraculous to be placed on Judah's life. And not just in Judah's life, but through his life. One of the most amazing things that we were able to see is not only him survive through this, but our own faith. We grew closer to Jesus because of this. we prayed like never before because of this. We were able to, Jesus revealed himself to us in such an amazing way, like never before, that challenged our faith, that grew our faith. And through his testimony, many people have gotten hope that there is still a God and that he still loves us. As we continue with this story, uh, 35, verse 35 Jesus heard that they cast this blind man out. They kicked him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Verse 38. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Point number four. The miraculous always leads you to Jesus. It always leads you to Jesus. You know, the fact that this man was born blind was amazing. But what's more amazing is what happened afterwards. That he came to Jesus. He surrendered his life to Jesus. He recognized Jesus as Lord and Savior, and he worshiped Jesus. And I believe that the greatest miracle today is when somebody surrenders their life and say, I'm not Lord over my own life anymore. Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. It's a miracle that sometimes we don't see on the outside right away, but in the inside, in the spiritual realm, it is an amazing miracle that takes place. You know, today, as we go back to, uh, to the hospital for checkups, 
Anna, my wife, loves to, you know, she calls ahead of time because it is an ICU, PICU, pediatric ICU floor. But she loves to, if it works out, bring Judah down and just have him uh, say hi to all the nurses and all the people that, that know his story. And it's like a ray of hope. It's like this, this hope that brings life to that floor where there's so much tragedy that happens sometimes. And we have shared this story with other people. And we say, listen, the thing that we want you to know is not so much that, hey, we're not special. We're not better than anybody. We're not, because sometimes it doesn't pan out for everybody like this. But I, will want, I do want to tell you that there is a God and he loves you. There is a Jesus that cares for you. There is a God who notices you. He doesn't just pass by you and continue to pass by. He sees you. He stops and he has compassion and he has mercy for you. And he's the same God that, that, that was able to do the miraculous before, but he does it today. And the reason he does it is so that you can do what he's called you to do. But inheriting eternal life is what it's all about. There's a story of a, an amazing uh, time where Jesus is in a house. The house is jam-packed. People are coming. They don't even have room. And so these friends of a guy who was paralyzed carried them on a mat, and they said, man, we can't bust through this door, so let's go bust through the roof. Talk about faith. They lowered him down from the roof. Faith on his friends and faith on that dude for letting him do this. He comes down, and Jesus forgives this man's sins. And it's like, he doesn't need that. He needs to be healed. He's paralyzed. But he forgives his sins, and Jesus, knowing the heart hearts of the other people around them, they started to accuse him and they started to say, How, who is this guy that can forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus says, so you guys know that I am here on a mission to bring life and to die for sins. I'm going to have to ask this man to get up and walk. What's easier, for me to forgive his sins or for him to get up and walk? So he asked him to get up and he was healed at that moment. You know what Jesus was sharing there? Is that, yeah, it's awesome to be healed, but it's even more awesome. It's awesomer to have your sins forgiven and to have Jesus in your heart because this life doesn't compare to the life that awaits us in eternity. There's another time where Jesus sent his disciples two by two to go do the work of the ministry. They came back so pumped. Jesus, we're laying hands on sick people. They're getting healed. We're casting out devils in your name. This is awesome. And Jesus is like, that's great. But you know what? Celebrate that your names are written in the book of life over that these spirits are subject to you. That's great. But what's more important is that Jesus is the king of your life. And really the goal this morning, church, was for me to stir your faith up. I pray that, you know, you were challenged a little bit, that you would just, wherever you are in your faith, the Bible says that you were given a measure of faith, that you would just use that, grow that, stretch that, and allow Jesus to do what he wants to do in your life and for your life and through your life. But I also want to stand up here and proclaim that it's all about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus and it always will be about Jesus. Even the miraculous points to Jesus. And I pray that that will be precedent, that that would be at the top of our lives. Would you stand with me as we pray? We're going to pray right now, but I want to mention that there's going to be some prayer partners in the back. If you really want to connect with somebody, for them to pray with you, there's going to be a team back there. So would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? I want to pray this over you. Father, we just thank you for this amazing time in your presence, in your word. We're so grateful. I thank you for this church. I thank you for 
this body of believers. Father, I thank you that it's not just my opinions, it's not just my story that I share, that I want to share, but it's your truth, it's your word, it's your scripture. And I pray that that would penetrate every person that's listening, that it would penetrate to their heart, that it would stir their faith up, that it would grow and stretch them in ways that point to that it is you and it's not us. It's got to be God. This is not me. This is too good. This is too great. Father, for everybody here that is just believing you for a miracle, who might have been waiting for their chance and their time, that they would just connect with what they heard today and take a step of faith. And I pray that you would, they would have an encounter with you today. I pray for healing in everybody, healing from every sickness and disease. And I pray for healing in every mind, healing from anxiety, healing from depression, healing from all of these things that come and try to steal from us and kill us. And I just declare your life over all of this. Now, if you're here this morning, maybe God is speaking to you about taking that step of surrendering your life to Jesus, making that commitment to, to live for Jesus. Maybe you're here and you say, I don't want to live for myself anymore, but I want to live for God. I want to live for Jesus. Maybe it's been a long time since you did that. And you've straight away, you've done your own thing. You've built your own kingdom. But God is asking you to give what you have to him so that you can receive what he has for you. If you're in this place and you want to surrender your heart to Jesus, like I said, it is the greatest miracle ever. I want to help you to do that. With every head bowed, eyes closed, I want to ask the congregation to pray this with me out loud. And if you're praying this for the first time, pray this out loud and believe in your heart. Say, Jesus, I come to you as I am. With my weaknesses, with my strengths, with my wins, with my failures. And I surrender it all to you. I give you my heart. And in return, I receive you. Come into my life. Come rule and reign in me. Use me for your glory. And from this day forward, I will live for you in Jesus' name.